Welcome to episode 10 of the Great Lakes Horror Company, brought to you by members of the Horror Writers Association Ontario chapter, where we discuss the business of horror with a focus on the written word. This is Andrew Robertson, co-host of this podcast and Horror Writers Association Ontario chapter member. For the next few podcasts, um, if you listened last week, you'll know that we're going to be focusing on StokerCon 2016, and that will run from May 12th to 15th at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. It's going to be a very exciting weekend gathering, um, and it's going to feature guests of honor, dozens of workshops held, uh, led by some of horror's finest writers, and the presentation of the iconic Bram Stoker Awards. Now, today, our guest is Patrick Freewald, who is one of the recipients of the Richard Lehman Award. This award is named in honor of Richard Lehman, who passed in 2000 while serving as the Horror Writers Association president. And uh, it's, it's an award that's given by the HWA's sitting president. Uh, it's presented to a volunteer or volunteers who have served in an especially exemplary manner and shown a lot of dedication to the organization. And uh, this year, Patrick Freewald is one of the recipients of that award for the work that he's done involving social media and Facebook for the Horror Writers Association. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me. Now, Patrick, this is the part where I tell our listeners a bit about all the great things that you do, so bear with me while we go through your bio. Uh, Patrick, very good. Patrick, of course, is an author. He's also a high school teacher. Uh, involved in physics, robotics, American Sign Language, and very interestingly, a beekeeper. Uh, he's living in Western New York right now with his wife and a slew of animals. He's got about an arc uh, going on that we can talk about. Uh, he's a member of the HWA and the ITW, and uh, he's the author of quite a number of books and short stories, including the Bram Stoker Award-nominated Special Dad. Uh, so Patrick, let's talk about how you got involved in moderating the Horror Writers Association Facebook page. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it, it's really not that big of a, uh, a, big of a story for that. I, um, I joined the HWA after I got my, my first advance for my first novel, Twice Shy, and, um, I've, ru- I've helped run some volunteer organizations before. I run one now. And so I know that volunteer organizations are, uh, well, they need volunteers to, uh, to keep going and do what they do. And, uh, at, at some point, Rocky Wood put out a, a, uh, a modification to the rules of the Facebook page. We were having a lot of issues with uh, people spamming it and things. It was becoming less and less usable. And as the HWA forums were being more and more supplanted by the Facebook page, keeping it usable and keeping it about HWA business was a big deal. And so uh, people had looked at turning it into a moderated page, which means someone has to approve posts, et cetera, et cetera. So Rocky put out a call and said, hey, is anybody willing and able to step in as moderator? And I said, sure. And that, that's pretty much the extent of it. And so the, uh, the job involves, you know, being chief spam reaper and uh, enforcing the rules, making sure people are fighting nice and so forth. <laughs> spam reaper. That's a good one. It's very appropriate. Yeah, so, I'm not sure who came up with that. It wasn't me. So I'm, I'm plagiarizing somebody. might have been Kenneth Vaughn. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, you know, there, there's, like any Facebook page, there's a lot of, uh, bots that show up and try and sell people Ray-Bans and various other things. And uh, also, people just don't pay attention to the rules. You're allowed to promote at a particular time on a particular day if you are an HWA member, and we get a lot of things that were, that don't really work out quite that way. So, um, And, of course, the last two days have been under chaos. So it's been... Uh, it's been necessary and uh, not always fun, but, you know, it's a, it's a little way that I can pay back to the HWA. So there it is. 
so what are what are the some of the challenges that you have between um, freedom of speech, let's say, on the page, and getting people to stick to the guidelines? Do you have some, you know, tools in your kit, uh, some some posts that you put up to remind people of what the guidelines are um, when you're dealing with sticky situations? I mean, on on social media, there's often people that set off on arguments or tangents or want to bring their own beef to the page. Uh, do you have any tips for other people maybe that are moderating, moderating their own pages uh, that they could maybe use to, to help keep people focused on what the group is supposed to be about? Well, I think having a clear set of rules helps a lot. And in terms of, uh, you mentioned freedom of speech, uh, essentially, the rules say uh, no politics and no personal attacks. Those are essentially any. Those are the freedom of speech issues. And the last couple of days, we've we've uh, it have been a little exciting, especially on the politics side. We've had to be a little loosey goosey on that just to discuss uh, the events that have been occurring. Um, but uh, beyond that, the um, in terms of personal attacks, it's really simple. If someone breaks the rules, then you send them a, a warning message, and then if they complain or whatever. Um, I think that I'm well suited to the role because I have a pathological disinterest in how people feel about the rules. Um, <laughs> they are what they are. I mean, I don't, I don't even, but to, to a large degree, I don't have anything invested in what the rules are. I didn't make them. I was tasked with enforcing them. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody starts to violate the rules and I say, hey, no personal attacks, and then they come back with, but he's a stinky poopy hat or whatever, then I just go, I, I don't care. This isn't an argument. I'm telling you that you can't do that, and persistent, or, uh, you know, if, if you persist in your actions, there's, there are going to be consequences. It doesn't really come up all that much. Primarily what we deal with is uh, people violating the promotion rules, but that's time-consuming but relatively easy to deal with because if it's an HWA member who's posting on a day other than Saturday, um, you just hold the post. And then on Saturday, you post it. And that, that's, that's not a big deal except keeping track of who's an HWA member and who's not when a new post comes up. When it comes to the non-HWA members, I have a, uh, a piece of boilerplate that I send them and say, hey, you can't do this. It's against our rules. Uh, if you want to join the organization so that you can do this, here's a link, etc., and uh, usually, for the most part, people say, whoops, sorry, um, or they just ignore it and then try again later. And if they break the rules too many times, then I ban them. And there's, you know, that's how you enforce the rules on a Facebook page is don't be afraid to just hit that block user button if they're being persistent in terms of not following the rules. Now, uh, for some of our listeners that maybe aren't aware of what was happening on the Facebook page that, that you're referencing, um, I think diplomatically I can say... Uh, there's one member whose personal and polit- political views that was involved in uh, a jury, if I'm correct, um, that a lot of people found uh, contrary to the spirit of the organization. There was quite a bit of discussion on that, and the issue is now considered resolved. Is that fair? Um, except maybe the very last part, I think. It, it's mostly fair. I, th- I think it's stickier than that. Uh, just for example, like I, to me, it had nothing to do with. Um, for, for me personally, it, it was an interesting situation for me as the moderator because I also had opinions I wanted to voice. So I was involved in the conversation and at the same time trying to objectively moderate it. Um, a couple of people did get banned. None of them were actually well, – one of them was an HWA member. She got a temporary ban. Um, but um, there were a couple of other people who just started slinging really vicious personal insults at people, and I sent them a message and said, don't do that, and then they did it again, and it's like, okay, fine, you're gone. Um, 
But by and large, most people were relatively civil. Um, I think in terms of is it all completely resolved now, I very much doubt it. I think that there will be long-term ramifications of it. Um, And I think in terms of characterizing it, I don't really want to get into it too much. But uh, at least for me personally, it was about the person's fitness uh, for the role. It's can, can that person actually fulfill the role as a juror objectively and without bias? And so to me, it wasn't so much about, hey, what are your politics? It's uh, do you have the do you have the qualifications necessary? And there will be people who disagree with that. It was a total lose-lose situation for anyone making any decisions. I learned long ago that if you are in a position to make any sort of decision, there are only two ways to piss people off. That is to do something or to do nothing. And as long as you can avoid those, you're fine. And... The moment this started, I was like, oh, boy, I know what I'm doing for the next couple of days. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm certain that there will be longer-term ramifications and that some things will be put into place to try and make sure that uh, a situation like that never comes up again in the first place. Uh, at the same time, I'm certain that whatever the board and the officers end up deciding will make some people angry and will make other people satisfied. And... None of that, thankfully, is actually my bag. Um, I just get to moderate the conversations and make sure that people are not making personal attacks. I think that's very fair. I mean, that's that's a moderator's job. You have to be able to to see both sides and see, uh, you know, what what integrity is being held by the organization based on decisions. Um, now, in the realm of social media. For yourself, what advantages has social media uh, given you in relationship to your fans, getting your work out there, uh, getting word out maybe about a new book or a new short story? What's your relationship to social media as a writer? Um, I I use a lot of Facebook and I sort of use Twitter. I don't really get Twitter. It doesn't really work for my for my brain, I guess. But yeah, I mean, I have a, a lot of Facebook friends and that varies from, I mean, I probably have four or 500 of those are former students and a hundred ish are people who are um, people I've known from, from back home and the rest are either other writers or fans. And it's really, it's really important to be able to get the word out that you've got something coming up. I'm going to plug myself here and say my new book, Jade Gods, which is the sequel to uh, Jade Sky, which was, a Bram Stoker Award-nominated novel two years ago, and Black Tide, which is nominated this year. Um, the sequel to that, Jade Gods, is coming out this summer, and when the cover came out, and it's a really amazing cover done by Dean Samad over at Cohesion Press, um, I put it up, and within, I don't know, two hours or three hours, I had 300-something comments, and dozens and dozens of people have shared it, and that's free exposure. And what what is bad about free exposure? Absolutely nothing at all. Mm-hmm. So social, social media can be a big deal there for, for staying connected with fans, too. You meet someone at a con, uh, you know, they buy your book, and then you get a friend request from them, you start talking books. And even though just having those kinds of conversations in public can involve other people, and then other people might say, hey, that sounds really cool. I might want to check that, that guy's books out and so forth. So it's, I think if you're a genuine person as opposed to a spammer, but it's clear that you are a writer and you have works out there that people can investigate and look into if they're interested. It can be a big deal. Excellent. Um, now you, you mentioned that you've got students on social media as well. Um, 
how do you students react to your writing? Are they are they aware of it? Do they you know do they check out your work? Do you ever write thinking, "Ooh, my students might see this," or is that not a concern of yours? Um, you know, I have tenure and seniority, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to see on that score. Um, the I don't I'm not friends with any current students, but the way Facebook is currently set up is if they. Uh, fr- send me a friend request and they're automatically following me and with a public profile I can't stop that from happening um, which is a little interesting and so it's fun getting away with that as a teacher because I sometimes say things that most teachers could never ever get away with that's kind of true at work too but um, the uh, you know I'll say things that some people are like wow I, I, I think that but I've never like said it in public um, and so in that sense it's a little awkward, and I, and I do certainly have to be a little careful. Sometimes people will post things that if it were just me and my friends, they'd be like, yeah, okay, whatever. And sometimes I'll delete it and just be like, no, that's, that's too much. It's over the top. And I do self-censor to some degree because of that. In terms of my writing, I don't self-censor that at all. I write novels, and they're going to be what they're going to be. And if somebody has a problem with that, they're welcome to not read it. Um, Several of my books are in the library at school, and students have read them. But, for example, Black Tide, when it came out, the librarian at school said, hey, I'm going to pick up a copy. And I said, I don't think you should do that. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, there are, there are things in there that are awfully adult. And she said, well, these kids read a lot of young adult. And it doesn't help that my first book was young adult, too, my first published novel. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I said, this is not young adult. And she's like, yeah, but they read, you know, they, they've got like Jonathan Mayberry's Joe Ledger stuff and a couple other things in there. And I'm like, yeah, but I work here. And a couple of these scenes are really not kid friendly. And so she's like, well, but I'm like, okay, tell you what, let me flag two scenes in particular for you. I'll give you the book, take it home, read those scenes, come back tomorrow. And if you say, no, it's fine then I will probably still say no because I work here. But if you really say, no, no, I, it, it's really fine. Here are examples of other books where that, where that happens, then you might be able to convince me. She said, okay, and she took the book home, and I saw her the next day, and she walked up to me and just shaking her head going, yeah, no, and handed the book back to me, and I said, yeah, that's what I thought. So um, being a high school teaching horror writer does have its interesting points, but by and large, they're two separate things. And if people have a problem with that, I don't really care. So the the interesting thing, actually, if you go through any high school library, you're going to find a lot of books by the likes of VC Andrews or whoever's writing those books now. And every teenager reads those books and they kind of have a bit of everything in there. So I think sometimes we, we underestimate what teenagers have access to in this day and age. And yeah, but we... in this particular case, one of the scenes that I flagged has someone getting her, she, she's tied down and they're trying to determine just how much she can regenerate. And so the first thing they do is she's, she, they tie her down to a, to a, a table, essentially they strap her down with metal straps and then they tear her breasts off with a giant metallic jaw thing. And that's not V.C. Andrews. No, it's not. <laughs> it's one of the more horrible, tortury. I think it is the most horrible, tortury thing I've written so far. So 
it, that was one of the scenes that I flagged where I was like, this is not going to be okay for kids. And that one was for violence. And then another scene was for sex. I think that's fair. I mean, you're, you're flagging it's a bit of torture porn. And, and you know, I think that's when you have your, your teacher hat on and you're saying to the librarian, you know. Yeah, this, well, and, and let shouldn't... me be clear that it, it really wasn't torture porn. I wanted it to be horrible because I wanted the, the, the people, I wanted the readers to be empathizing with that character and going, oh, holy shit, she's in so much trouble. I didn't want to leave it implied that, okay, they're going to be, they're going to be pulling out her fingernails or something. I wanted to show that, th- that these people are really terrible people and that she is in a catastrophic situation. Um, so the scene isn't very long and most of the book isn't like that, but the scene was necessary for the impact I wanted on the reader. And so I let, you know, I put it in there. Um, I do have an unpublished book that my agent has right now that is about a, uh, it's about a violinist who's being sexually stalked by a demon. And there's nothing in this book that is even vaguely PG. Um, were it a movie, it would easily be on the NC-17 side. It's certainly the most adult thing I've ever written. And as a teacher, it's just like, I'm a little nervous if it ever gets published. Like, I'm nervous that my mom will read it because she reads everything. And I'm like, oh, no, that'll be <laughs> awkward. Um, but at the same time, uh, in terms of school, it'll be, yeah, this, this doesn't belong anywhere even vaguely near a school. At the same time, I might ask the local librarian not to carry it in my hometown, which is an awkward thing. You know, it's kind of a weird thing for an author to to ask, but that book is of sufficient content that I would be, I'd be nervous that some parent would read it and be like, oh God, this guy is teaching my kid. Um, And, you know, if they buy it themselves and do that, I'll be like, well, you know, you sought it out. But if it's sitting on the library shelf and they're like, oh, that's Mr. Freebold's book. That's a different story. <laughs> You'll be leading a double life in no time. Have you ever thought about using a pseudonym? Does that seem like cheating to you? Yeah, I've, uh, it's been brought up before, and I have no interest in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll own what I do, and I've, I've, always been, uh, I've always been someone where my integrity is the first thing that, uh, that uh, really matters to me. So if it, if, in terms of I wrote it, I'm not going to hide behind a pseudonym so people don't know that that's me and that I wrote it. Um, could a book someday get me in trouble? I mean, what, what are they going to do? Bring me up on ethics charges? You know, will the state have my license stripped because I wrote a piece of fiction? Good God, could you imagine how much publicity I would get? That would be fantastic. That's true. I vaguely remember that one of the big politicians, possibly a former president, had a wife that wrote a bit of lesbian erotica. Might have been a vice president. Anyways, you know, everyone's got some interesting thoughts that they can put down to paper if they want. It's just a matter of whether you're going to print it and own up to it. <laughs> now, let's let's talk about your writing a bit more. So you've you've received the Richard Lehman Award this year, an honor that you shared with Andrew Walter. Uh, but you're also up for a superior achievement in a novel, and that will be an award that's announced at StokerCon 2016 in Vegas. How does it feel to be nominated in the category with visionaries such as Clive Barker? You know, it's really cool. Um, at the moment, I'm in the, the always a bridesmaid, never a bride category. Uh, this is my fourth uh, Bram Stoker Award nomination. Um, and it's, it's really cool. I, I am not a, I'm not big on awards. A few years ago, I was invited to give a, uh, a speech. I was the keynote speaker at an academic awards banquet. 
And the title of my, or the, the topic of my speech, I didn't really give it a title, but the, the topic was why awards don't matter. Mm-hmm. And they didn't invite me back, oddly enough, but I think the speech <laughs> was pretty well received by the students, which is, and they were my target audience. And, you know, the Bram Stoker Awards are cool because they're a nice recognition of great horror. That's what they're about. And so to that extent, it's really cool. I've already gotten the reward of writing the book. People read the book. They like it. I, I certainly don't mind the, the extra publicity. Um, it's really neat to see my name listed alongside people like Clive Barker. Um, that's, that's pretty fantastic. At the same time, I don't put a lot of stock in awards personally. And by the way, this is even though I'm actually the assistant compiler for the awards too, one of my other roles with the HWA is if you have a question about the process and you send it to compiler at horror.org, uh, I'm the guy who answers that question most of the time. Uh, and also, if you have uh, a work on the recommended list and you would like to have your uh, email or a link attached, when you send that request, and I'm the one who inputs that. So that's the extent of my involvement in the awards is I answer questions and input links. But I'm part of the award process because they asked if someone would be willing to do it, and I said, what's the time commitment? And they told me, and I said, okay, I'll do it. Um, but even with that... I think the Bram Stoker Awards are, they're neat. They, they can, I think, help be a celebration of the genre. But beyond that, um, I, I don't put a lot of stock in awards in general. I don't watch the Oscars. I don't watch the, you know, any of those kinds of things, the Grammys. I don't really care if a, if, if a book or a movie or something like that has won an award. I care whether or not I like it. And so I would hope that people would kind of treat my works the same way. And at the same time, I certainly won't turn down anything that looks like or smells like publicity. Oh, that's, that's totally fair comment. So let's, let's turn the conversation a bit and talk about what some of the benefits have been for you um, from being a part of the Horror Writers Association. Yeah, um, it's funny because you will hear people say, you know, I was a member for a year or two and I didn't get anything out of it. And that is astounding to me. Um, I think that with any, with any volunteer organization, you'll get more out of it if you put more into it. Uh, for me in particular, I live about a five and a half hour drive from New York City. So it's, it's not exactly local, but it's not terribly far away. And I have had the opportunity to go to Book Expo as a volunteer. And I've had the opportunity to go to uh, Comic Con as a volunteer. And those are just two examples. And, you know, uh, th- there's exposure there that's pretty incredible. I mean, when you're sitting there manning a booth with a couple of people whose careers are astronomically more successful than yours so far, people who've been doing this for, for almost as long as I've been alive, and you're sitting there having a conversation and random editors and agents and various other people stop by and join the conversation and you talk and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, so who are you? Oh, I'm Patrick Freewald. I'm a schlub who writes books. Oh, cool. Here's my card. You know, send me your next thing. You know, stuff like that. It, that's, that's not a, the kind of opportunity you normally get. Um, I wouldn't know some authors who have been really, really generous and helpful to me had I not been manning those booths with them. And it's not why I did it. I signed up to just uh, to volunteer to help out. And after I did it the first time, I'm like, wow, in addition to being a volunteer and giving up some of my time to do this, there's actually a lot of opportunity here as well. 
Um, and so some of the intangibles in terms of making connections and, and networking with people are a big deal. It's when someone hears your name and they're like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I talked to him about X, Y, and Z. I had a conversation with, with Del Howison and an editor at a large publishing, publishing house about uh, magic and magic in novels and what can be annoying about it and what is not annoying about it. And to be able to talk with an editor, who an acquisitions editor at one of the biggest houses for science fiction and fantasy in the world about what she likes and doesn't like about magic in books, that's a really neat opportunity. I, I certainly didn't show up expecting that conversation to happen, but that was a really cool conversation to be a part of. No, and I think that if, if you put in the time and you're actually outgoing and you make the effort to engage with people, then you are going to get a lot out of manning a HWA table or if you've got your own author's table. I, I will agree, you know, since joining, I've, I've heard great things happen to people as, as participating members and then other people that say, oh, well, I did never do anything for me. But when you look at it, the people that are engaged, going to meetings, going to cons, uh, being a part of the conversation are the ones that actually get something out of it. Whereas if you're just sitting with kind of a shitty face on at the table, no one's going to want to talk to you and you're not going to get anything out of it. So it's really, it's as much as you put into the organization that's, that's built the framework that you can actually have success in. So it's, it's nice to hear that opinion, especially. Yeah, you know, there, something you just said there is important too is, you can probably have two different people who volunteer for the same amount of time at the same event and ha get very, very different uh, levels of uh, help for their career out of it as well. I mean, I'm extraordinarily comfortable in front of people. It probably comes from being a teacher and or I became a teacher in part because I'm really, really comfortable in front of people. I can mm -hmm. talk to audiences of arbitrary size, and even if I'm making a fool out of myself, I really just don't care. It's like, okay, cool, that's fine. I'm talking to two people or I'm talking to 20,000 people. That, that's nice. All right, cool, let's do that. And if someone is very shy or they're very taciturn or they're, you know, they're just going to sit there and huddle up a little bit, and if someone comes up, they'll hand them a pamphlet, they're probably not going to get nearly as much out of it. Um, that's kind of a fun thing about being at an HWA table is when someone walks up and they start to talk and have a conversation, sometimes you don't know who that someone is. That someone could be uh, a fan of somebody else's books. It's kind of like yours. That person could be a random passerby who was like, hey, neat, what's the HWA? That person could be a, a major editor or publisher or agent. And you start to engage them in conversation and oftentimes you're sitting with other people who've been doing it for a while, who are known in the industry, who are already on friendly speaking terms with them, you essentially get an automatic introduction to people who if you walked up to them cold and were like, hi, my name's Patrick Freevald. You've never heard of me and have no reason to care who I am. You know, you're just not going to get the same kind of reception. And that can be really, really helpful and useful with your networking. But you have to you have to own it. You, you need to be willing to be a genuine person who's willing to have conversations that are more than just, oh, God, please read my next manuscript. That actually brings us uh, back to social media in, in a nice way, in a full circle, because I find that the, the people that bitch about organizations or conventions not doing anything for them online 
are really the ones that just kind of sat there waiting for people to come to them. Whereas the people that are really happy with the experience and moving on with things, they're not online bitching about things. They're either sharing good information or they're actually out there doing something. So I think it's a good thing for listeners to remember. Instead of complaining online, get on with what you want to do and and make those dreams happen by being outgoing. Talk to people. Like you said, you never know who that person is. Make new friends. And uh, that's going to be better for your career than... Than complaining online, honestly. Yeah, you know, I, I made a comment about this most recent kerfuffle uh, with the. Um, I made a comment on uh, on somebody else's post the other day about I ran a gaming convention when I was in college, and the first year I was um, director of operations. Then the, the following two years, I was actually the chair of the convention. They're like, "Yeah, we want you running this," and as on the first year, I'd sit through these meetings that were like three hours, three and a half hours long, and it was every week planning for this con all year. And they put on a good con. Well, when I took over, the very first rule I implemented was, if you want something to change because you are not happy with it or you think it will be better a different way, by speaking about that, you are volunteering to help make that happen If the rest of the committee decides, if the rest of the committee decides that we're going to go forward with that, you are volunteering to be the point person for that. Because if you're not willing to step up and make it happen, all you're doing is whining. And I don't need to sit through three hours of, hey, I want you guys to make my idea happen. I want to hear, here's my idea. This is what I want to do to make it happen. Are you guys on board? Does anyone want to help? And I feel that way about every volunteer organization I've ever been in. I ran the Ontario Finger Lakes Beekeeping Association for a couple of years. I, like I said, I ran a college convention. I've, I've done a couple of other various things. I'm, I'm in a union. And in every single one of those things, I'm like, just step up or shut up. And that, that's been my philosophy for a very, very long time is if you want to see something different, that's fine. First thing you need to do is make sure that other people on bo- are on board with your vision of where you want that to go. But the second thing you need to do is do it. Don't expect other people to take your idea and turn it into what you want it to be because a couple things are going to happen. Number one, they're probably not going to. And number two, it probably won't turn out the way you want it. And so if you want any control over the process and you want it to happen, step up and do it. We have, what, 1,300 members of the organization right now, mm-hmm. and I think 10% of them are volunteering for one, in one area or another right now, if you, if you include all of the mentors, mm-hmm. and that's, that's pretty small. Imagine what awesome things we could do in terms of, you know, we've got the library outreach, and we have the scholarships, and we have all these other great things we're doing. Imagine what else we could do for the genre if... Out of those 1,300 people, 500 were volunteering, or 700, or 800, or 1,300 were volunteering. You could really do a lot of really amazing good and step things up like crazy. But if you have, for every one person, you have 13 who are just going to whine, you can do great stuff, but you're not going to do as much great stuff as if if those people would step up and say, yeah, you know, you're right. This is my time where I care enough about this. I'm going to do it, or at least I'm going to help. How do, I, how do I get that done? And I think if you had more of that in any organization, the HWA or any other, then the more of that you have, the better off things are. 
It's it's a great point, and it's definitely well received. Uh, we we have a pretty active organization, and um, you know, in in the Ontario chapter, we've accomplished quite a lot recently uh, because we have some new members that really want to push things and get things going, and you need those people. But everyone needs to know, as a part of an organization or in anywhere in your life, nothing gets handed to you. You need to make a bit of an effort. Now, yeah. let's talk about StokerCon again. Are you going to be attending this year? Yes, I will be at StokerCon. Uh, and in fact, for the first time ever uh, at any writing-related convention, I will be bringing my wife, which is fun. So she's probably going to spend most of her time lounging by a pool, but she'll be, she'll be out and about with me as well. Well, she'll be very supportive beside that pool, I'm sure, <laughs> yes, <laughs> of all yes. your endeavors. So what are you looking forward to at the convention? Because there's tons of panels, lectures, uh, classes, because there's Horror University this year. There's the awards banquet. What, what are some of the things you're looking forward to? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm running one. Uh, it was one of those situations where I said, hey, it would be cool if somebody did a panel on this. And the response back from the leadership was, oh, so you're doing that, or not a panel, I'm sorry, a horror university class on this. And they said, oh, so you, you want to run that? I'm like, uh, sure. Well, so that's what I'm, we just I'm spoke doing, about. Uh, <laughs> what's that? That's what we just spoke about. You had the idea, yeah, you it, volunteered yourself. <laughs> exactly. And, and that, was, that was perfectly fine. And I said, yeah, that would be great. I, I would be more than happy to do that. And so I'm, I'm going to be running a workshop called Saying More with Less. And it's about word economy in writing. And uh, I had a blog for a while where uh, I was being asked so often to edit people's work. Uh, I had the, the great fortune of having some really, really good editors that were not interested in my feelings on the first book I wrote, which was uh, I wrote with my twin brother. And we were super, super proud of that, that book when we were done with it. And we thought it was ready to print and take the world by storm and if I had to read it aloud in public, I think I would just douse it and myself in gasoline and light it on fire, that first draft. <laughs> and I think somewhere around 27 drafts later, it got published, and it was much, much better, and I was a much, much better writer for it. And part of that was um, word economy. And so when I started beta reading other people's stuff, and I was like, hey, you can say this better, you can say that better, I started to get people wanting to pay me to edit for them. And I was like, I don't want to be an editor. I don't. I, I like writing. I'm happy to do some favors for people. A little bit here and there, not a whole book, but you know, a little here and there. I can give you some pointers. And so I started a blog that was all about word economy called Word Soup. And I haven't done anything with it for almost two years now. It's still up on the web, but it's uh, if you Google Patrick Freevald and Word Soup. Uh, what I did is people sent in 500 word samples, and then I pared them down as much as I possibly could without changing content or tone. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to take that and turn it into this horror university class, saying more with less. And I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be good. I think uh, uh, you know we'll have to see what happens, but I hope to have some nice participation, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of people I haven't seen since last year. Uh, meeting some new people. I'm, uh, we're going out to, uh, to dinner myself and everyone who is um, represented by my agent. We're all going to dinner as a group, and that should be a lot of fun. I think my entire beta reading group is going to be there. We do a lot of beta reading uh, online together, and I think everyone will be there. It'll be nice to see friends uh, go to readings and you know hang out with awesome writers and, and recharge my battery in terms of uh, just creative energy with all that stuff. So it's um, it should be a great time, and I'm really looking forward to it. 
Well, thank you very much for joining us today, Patrick. It's been awesome to talk to you, to, uh, to hear about some of your inspirations and the work that you're doing with the Horror Writers Association. I'd like to congratulate you again on the Layman Award and wish you the best of luck in your, in your category for StokerCon. Thank you very much. And uh, for anyone interested in finding out more about Patrick, you can find him online at patrick.freevald, F-R-E-I-V-A-L-D.com. Uh, Patrick, is there anywhere else that they can find you online? You mentioned Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? It's at Patrick Freevald, uh, same spelling. And I'm, of course, on Facebook as Patrick Freevald, too. I am the only Patrick Freevald on the planet. So if you have found one, you've found me. Yeah, it's Google Patrick Freevald. He's the first Freevald that comes up and the only one. So <laughs> that makes it very, very easy. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, for our listeners, we've got some information on upcoming conventions. Of course, StokerCon 2016 runs from May 12th to 15th at the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas. You can register or get more information at stokercon2016.horror.org. Uh, and you can also meet the HWA Ontario chapter at some upcoming events. In April, some of our members will be at Ad Astra in Toronto. At the Sheraton Parkway Toronto North, you may run into us there. That's April 29th to May 1st. And for more information, you can check out ad-astra.org. Also in April, if you're a globetrotter, uh, there's going to be some people at the World Horror Convention, WHC. It's an annual literary-based event for the horror industry, centered around authors, publishers, editors, artists, and other things related to the creation and production of scary books. Uh, this year, it'll be held in Provo, Utah from April 28th to May 1st. So more information on that is at worldhorrorconvention.com. In July, HWA Ontario is going to have a booth at the Rue Morgue Dark Carnival, July 9th and 10th in Hamilton, Ontario. More information for that is at darkcarnivalexpo.com. We'll have giveaways, contests, signings, and of course you can pick up some great books there. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at GL Horror Podcast or on Facebook as Great Lakes Horror Company. We're going to be having some online contests and announcements coming up, so be sure to follow us, subscribe on iTunes. Until, until next time... Keep your enemies closer.